0: The sun It pays my way to you Cause there's nothing In this whole wide world Better suited than me and you South seven Sea I've flown into the blue And I felt cold rain Upon my cheek And I thought it through and through Don't ever try to tell me That you're gone. Seeing and soar from Gabriel's town, to the devil's cry. Well, I cannot see, I cannot hear, I'm haunted by the wrecks that blow across the ocean deep toward a sun that never sank. Out beneath the deepest sea, Climb the highest peak But nothing can compare To the wisdom of the mean Don't ever try to tell me That unicorns can't fly Cause seeing them soar from Gabriel's town to
1: the devil's cry Welcome to Inside Out with Turner, and unfortunately not Seth. Seth is swamped. He has been working a lot of events and advancing others. He's between Holy Ship and Jam Cruise now. We had a limited window of opportunity to do a remote with him, and we were not able to do it, Um, but we did get this little message, and we're going to play it for you right now, and as he says in this message, we have some exciting news coming. We cannot announce it now yet, but um, stay tuned to our Twitter Inside Out, WTNS, or our Facebook, or anywhere you can. Our web address, insideoutwtns.com. And soon we're going to have great news. But in the meantime, fresh from our hotline, here's what Seth sent us for you, the home listener.
2: Hey everybody, Seth here. I am somewhere in the ocean on Holy Ship 9.0. We just finished 8.0. Uh, sorry, we're unable to get the technical side of things worked out so rob and i could record together but i promise we'll be back soon Uh, in the meantime i hope you guys enjoy uh what rob has to say and uh of course uh, what pete sears has to say and we've got some like rob mentioned we've got some big announcements coming up uh we're really excited about the new year happy new year everybody and um yeah uh, and a quick tidbit, though, I will say that uh, Holy Ship's been an interesting and fun one. Lots of changes with the schedule happened due to weather, but an uh, uh, amazing team here that was able to uh, change things on the fly and make things work really well. Uh, had a, had a highlight, uh, highlights would definitely be um, Karaoke with Snail, and that one was, uh, that was pretty funny. That was actually really, really extremely funny. Uh, people really get into karaoke somehow. I guess a little change of pace there from the uh, DJ stuff. But um, but yeah, and um, well, I look forward to catching up with everybody, uh, especially after Jam Cruise. Jam Cruise is coming up next for me. And um, yeah, all right. That's a lot of ums and yes for you. So back to Rob. Uh, you guys take care. And again, Happy New Year.
1: And there, it's nice to hear from Seth. You know, it's a little naked here doing the podcast without Seth. Um, I'd love to do other podcasts on my own but this one I don't know I don't like not having Seth here so I'm gonna be brief uh, also because he demands such (laughs) but this is a great episode it's kind of funny that I would do this one alone because this is sort of my my pet episode um, and it's kind of Seth's 50th anniversary 50th birthday gift to me I just turned 50 and um, Pete Sears is the subject of our interview Pete uh compose all of the music that you will hear on the episode as well. And it's all from Moon Alice's High Five CD. Pete Sears came up in the English music scene. We'll hear about that. We'll hear about how he was lured to the Bay Area and how in his first days in the Bay Area while he was getting familiar with that world, he was also recording some legend flying back to England and recording legendary albums with Rod Stewart. And he met um, all these amazing musicians along the way. This is just such a wonderful interview. And if you hang on till the end of the episode, I'll tell you about our local hootenanny holiday hootenanny. Uh, which is something T-Dog, a legendary promoter in our town, puts on, and always interesting collaborations. And I'll tell you about my 50th birthday trip to Chicago to see Humphrey's McGee and the setlist shenanigans, the controversial setlist shenanigans that I'm getting blamed for. Um, That will be after this interview, but let's get right into it. This is Seth and I on the wonderful smelling, in the back of the wonderful smelling Moon Alice bus, one of the best smelling buses I've ever been on in my life, I have to tell you. Smells like skunks mated and died on there. And this though is a wonderful and interesting interview I think, at least for me, it's like licorice If you like this interview, you're really going to like it If you don't like it, well, I don't know what to tell you But here's some more music from the Moon Alice High Five CD And here is Pete Sears Cross
0: the ocean from London town 69 San Francisco bound Fell in love with a brown-eyed girl And I'll be seeing you again In the summer rain and I remember all the times we had Sometimes happy and sometimes sad When this old highway comes to an end be seeing you again
1: in the summer rain our first guest our guest is an absolute legend born in 1948 just outside of london started playing piano at eight and guitar at 13 and has worked with just a who's who of rock and roll People, and we're going to discuss that with him. His name is Pete Sears, and he's here at Lockin with the Doobie Decimal System. Hey Pete! Hey, how you doing?
3: Welcome, Hi, welcome yeah, I to I'm Inside I'm, Out. I'm, I'm not about the legend bit when I'm old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what, I think that's like, that's where you become a legend is when you're in the business If, long, if you hang around long enough. I can,
1: <laughs> can you talk, uh, one of the first bands you played in was a skiffle band, and a lot of Americans don't know what skiffle is, and I think it was called uh, the Spitfires? Uh, well, yeah, well,
3: actually, we played uh, we played sort of rock and rockabilly, rock and roll sort of stuff. It was it wasn't actually skiffle, although I knew, I did. I was aware of skiffle. L- Lonnie Donegan was the guy, the skiffle uh, player. And that, uh, that was kind of a folk, um, uh, kind of a folk, early folk rock thing, really. But it was all acoustic guitars. Okay. And,
2: and where was this? Uh,
3: that was in well, that was in England. Uh, as, I don't, I'm not sure the origins of skiffle, actually. I... I I'm not an expert. On I hear, football, it. but 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 we but but I, but I was playing with the Spitfires, and yeah, that was a that was a, that was a band, and um, uh, we played up in, based in Biggin Hill, which is an old World War Two, fi- uh, fighter station, you know, in Bomber Alley, where the, uh, the bombers and from the German Nazis used to come over, southern England to get to London, and they dropped their bombs on the way, and uh but spit this is a place where the spitfires would go up and and um to uh, attack the the waves of bombers coming over
2: wow.
3: and so it was an old it's got quite a history to that area you know and pretty rough area and we uh so we had a band but have we had a band you know it was just i was just about i was only about 15 years old and and we had a band of the spitfires playing at the youth hostel and and um and th- and we played around other areas too we played um West Wickham and the David Bowie it with David Jones then, yeah, and 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 Peter Frampton, those guys all played around the same scene in Bromley, South London.
1: But at that point, you were still thinking about art school. You weren't thinking. Yeah, of music. at that
3: point, I was going. Yeah, I was going. I was I was going to night school. I, I was going. I wanted to go to Croydon Art College, and um, then, so I was I was working during the day and then going to school at uh, to night school. Uh, cause then I was going to then I was going go to go to art college
2: and, well, and art as in painting or drawing was I I don't, I don't, I, it wasn't defined at that point I was so young. it was more you were studying tist, artist yes yeah, yeah,
3: so kind of just the concept you know I was into the idea and um, but I was in this semi pro band called the Sons of Fred and uh, I had played guitar with the Spitfires but when I, le- I left school um, they they uh, uh, they, they uh, I met these guys and they, they said, oh, "I know you play, you know, guitar. Um, but would you mind playing bass? We need a bass player. Our bass player just left, and so I joined those guys. Um, started picking up the bass, and then we got a backer, we got a uh, record company, and went on the road. Six or seven nights a week. What your beat-up van. About 1964, 63,
1: 64. You had some success. You
3: got on a lot of the big British TV shows, right? Yeah, we did Ready Steady Goes Live and Ready Steady Go, uh, Thank You Lucky Stars, all, all those kind of programs. And, and uh, you know, it, it was, I mean, they weren't big hits or anything like that, you know, but we had a following, but we did. you know, we played our live shows, we played, Kind of R and B stuff. As best we tried to play the American R and B stuff.
2: We're getting a lot of exposure (laughs) uh, on the getting like the forty. What are they called? Forty fives. Was
3: it? Yeah, forty fives. Yeah, and but the pop, but the uh, our our the original material that the the lead singer wrote, a couple of guys. It was a little more poppy than what we played live, but it was you know it was good songs and we did those on the TV shows. Except for we did uh, top of the uh, was it uh, Thank You Lucky Stars? We did that twice. The second time was with uh a blues baby what you want me to do the old blues song so yeah but then
1: it was your next band when you first got a taste of the psychedelic element
3: well the next band actually after sons of red was fleur de lis and, yeah. and that was a, a band that played motown and played all the, and and impressions uh, music oh uh, and like and that and that's when i met jimmy hendrix the first time in eric's eric's base uh house in london uh Chaz chandler just brought him over and he was just a really cool guy, very really unassuming guy with um, just jeans and you know, none of his fancy clothing he wore later. Um, it, Chaz had just bought him over, and so he, he, uh, he came down and overdubbed on a, uh, a record we were making, Amen, which is a, a Curtis Mayfield impressions track, and we did our own version. But our lead, anyway, but that was never released, unfortunately. But people are searching for the acid. Yeah, to you know? say, where is that? At? Yeah, well, no, <laughs> people have been searching for that.
1: Jimmy as- would go acidate. to your performances too, right?
3: Uh, later, that's the next band. And, uh, oh, okay. Well, yeah. before we leave that band,
1: yeah. you worked with Jimmy Page in that band as well, uh, right?
3: Um, he, he, no, no, he, he, produced, he produced one of their albums, but it was, I think, that was after I left or before oh. I left joined. I don't remember. I, joined, I was on keyboards for about six months, something. Okay. Like that. But uh, so yeah, so he he produced one of the one of their tracks, but not the one I was on. Um,
1: and um, the next band is with the Sons of Fred, guitarist?
3: Yeah, but the, I should say those Flutelis, the 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 singer. Yes. Uh, the original singer, we had, he left the band to replace Stevie Winwood and Spencer Davis. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he did one at one record with them. And the, uh, anyway, but he he was he was really good. So that was a that was kind of a cool band. But after that, we, the band you would talking about that was uh, Sam Gopal Dream It's called and he was an Indian tabla player a uh, real trained highly trained guy and and the guitar it was towards the end of my stay with Fleur de Lis I was playing piano with those guys we bass with Sons of Fred the first one and then piano with the next one and that and then Mick said uh, who I played with in Sons of Fred the guitar player brilliant player, he's all over YouTube, he's like a big European following, Mike he's Hutchinson. crazy as a loom, but he's absolutely amazing, and uh, never made it over, never came over here, but uh, um, anyway, but he called me up and said, you know, I'm playing with this Indian tabla player, and uh, we're playing in these really far out clubs, and it was very beginnings of, of the psychedelic movement over there, you know, it's just like 96 very beginning of 1960, like late 1966, early 67." and a UFO club, we went to the UFO club, and I met Sam, and I played bass, and and we just as a three-piece, and it was a really enjoyable thing, with Mick playing ragas, and, and, and uh, there's a sort of an underground following of that, even though we never actually recorded, because we didn't have a singer, um, but, but there was, you know, record company interest, so that's the one that Hendrix sat in with it, and he used to film us with his, he was, seen filming us with his super eight camera you know? <laughs> and i'd like to get find out from his estate if it's if there's a box of yeah it's,
0: it's
2: gotta be it's
3: probably all of us it's probably all the tabla player you know he's probably not got to be into the, the
2: tabla. so you got east and west music kind of combining i think that is uh that is an ingredient there that when you put those two together it, it just goes psychedelic i mean it's just a natural yeah. the, the 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 different patterns and you put them together you have just dropped out yeah
3: <laughs> that's right it was a massive influence on the scene i, I mean i it, was it was over here too right but but it's certainly in in in, uh, in england britain uh, um and especially like so the psychedelic clubs in london um the, the ravi shankar and had they that music was just permeating everything you know because I mean, it, it just it it worked you know with acid (laughs) you know and and whatever I I mean I'm not you know whatever we drugs we took at that time um, back in those days uh, it kind of it all sort of came together you know and and the music was like experimental and would go on for hours and the audience didn't care because they were all high too you know and and anything and we were sort of uh, questioning the establishment and and the 50s and it sort of came out of World War Two that everything had to be. Um, I think they were sort of a, they the, look, they were looking at everything through rose-colored glasses. It was just uh, it was just. Um, Nobody everything had to be perfect, you know, this perfect little uh, scene. But the, and the sixties was questioning this, you know, we questioned authority, we questioned all the wars and and um, just both sides of the Atlantic this was going on of course
1: and at what point did you go to LA and what motivated you to make that move
3: well I I did the Sons of Fred thing you know and then I then I started to then I formed my own band um, and then uh, we did that a bit John Peel uh, did some gigs at the Roundhouse and and then um, uh, I played I did a lot of session work with Steam Hammer Uh, that was a uh, band that used to back up Freddie King when he came came to he was, it was a blues band that was a really good band Steam Hammer and then uh, a lot of session work with uh, there was a, a folk rock like kind of a Fairport Convention style band called Jade with Marianne Siegel um, and that, that was that's one of the uh, few really sort of folk rock bands of that 1969 around that era and I, I played with those guys uh, on an album. The producer was Elton John's producer at the time. He brought, he, he brought me in and, and he brought Mickey Waller from Jeff Beck band. And, and, uh, and he brought, brought in uh, some guys from uh, Coliseum, John Heisman's Coliseum, uh, to, to mix in with the folk, to make it more like rock, rock and roll, you know, a combination and uh, so we did that album that, that's a really good album that's really uh, but anyway that 1969 I was also talking to John Mark who, who played with John Mayo he was an acoustic guitar and I was going to play with him we were talking about that and I was just trying trying out all these different things and Mitch Mitchell from had asked me to um, join a band he was getting together he was still with Hendrix at the time and he took me to a Hendrix show at the Royal Albert Hall and uh, and that was when Jimmy was getting a little kind of dissatisfied with playing nothing but hits. It just stopped in the mid- middle of a song and said, I wanna just play the blues and did some amazing blues playing. And um so but then so Mitchell had this all these things in the in the possible things happening. Oh yeah, and also Judy Diable from Fairport the original Fairport Convention singer and Jackie McCauley from Van Morrison's band, Them, the Irish band. Oh. Uh, we had a band together called Trader Horn, where we were rehearsing for our first album. And then I just up and left for the, for the United States because six months earlier I'd, I'd met Lee Stevens from Blue Cheer, uh, the original guitar player, the Summertime Blues and all that stuff. But why would you, and so that, So he said, if you're ever in the States, look me up.
1: But isn't Blue Cheer <clears throat> San Francisco? Why would you? No, yeah. <clears throat> so why would you go to LA?
3: In, he was in London. Lee was in London, uh, visiting London, right, <clears throat> in, in early nineteen sixty
1: nine. I'm just confused. if Blue Chairs, a, Blue Chairs, yeah. a San Francisco band. Yeah, why? No, did he no, ta- they're,
3: they're, yeah, L.A. bands Oh, band. they were. Yeah. Okay, I'm not. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Blue Cheer was really an L.A. band. And, but you, uh, and, and and so, yeah. So so, boy, it's probably incredibly boring. Sorry, guys, but anyway, no, <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. Not not no so anyway, uh, um. Yeah, so, so I'd met Lee, you know, in London. Mickey Wallow, Jeff, Jeff, you know, the drummer from Jeff Beck, he'd he introduced me to Lee in London. And he, Lee said, if you're ever in the States, look me up. And he gave me, he tore off a little piece of paper. You know, I was 21 years old, right? He tore off a little bit of paper and wrote a little diagram of Santa Monica Pier. <laughs> and, and no phone number and just st- stairs and arrow. And that was it. Yeah. See so the guy in the roller skates. So, so that's <laughs> all I had. About fourth five homeless bu- guy on the right. I had about five bucks in my pocket when I took off from Heathrow. And, I am mean, a Cat Gatwick, actually, at south of London. I went, took off from there. And, and um, I made it, somehow made it to it's a long story how I made it there but got, I got to uh, Santa Monica and they still fortunately still live there above the pier the, the merry-go-round above the merry-go-round and, uh, so I stayed there and then went down to Venice Beach and we rehearsed and formed a band called Silver Silver Meter Lee Stevens this is 1969 summer of 69 formed a band called Silver Meter with Mickey Waller and um, uh, we had Harry Reynolds singing what's What's the yeah. chances at that time that, came to San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> that
2: you were probably in the same circle as the, what? What's the guy's name? The Mench, uh, the manager. They call him the Mench. He was working with Janice, He was working with uh, oh, everyone at that time. Do you I'm know blanking. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm blanking. Anyway, yeah. there's at least what I what I gathered from I watched the docu- his, the documentary on him. Yeah, we, and he didn't manage us, but yeah. But he was doing this thing where... I mean, all these musicians were living at hotels, like, essentially, right? And it was just like this... It was such a different scene. Like, you you don't have that now. That doesn't exist. But when... I'm just imagining what you're talking about going there. Yeah. That that's the scene. People are living in these hotel rooms, and they were just... All these musicians all gathered and, and, you know, just... Campfires at the poolside, you know what I mean? Like, that's something that just... Uh,
3: Yeah, well, that wasn't... I mean, when I there wasn't what I went into in 1969, right? The scene I grew, every, you know, every scene has its own group of people and do their own thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that, I think New York, a lot of people lived in hotels like the Chelsea and places like that, you know? Uh, but I think, uh, uh, but 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 in Venice Beach, there were these little, you could, it, was a very, it was still like a ghost town. It hadn't mm-hmm. been fixed up yet, you know? And, and um, it was really an interesting, fantastic old, Old, weathered, rustic wood, and you know, and people—you could get places very cheaply. So people were renting uh, little, little houses
2: or on the beach, and yeah, not like it is now. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, very different, very different. And and, and, um, and when you came over, yeah. was it for a visit or you no? Really I
3: came did? over just to come to the states. I'd just a visit. Yeah. I had just to stay. No, I, I, I wanted to, and to see Lee. You know, and uh-huh. I just just—I was 20 miles. I was going where where it took me. Lee going from one thing to another. You weren't sure if
1: you were going to stay or not.
3: Um, I, don't know, I only had a six-month visa. I ended up staying a, a year. <laughs> 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 I'd better be careful, wasn't? I? But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, that, well, actually, that first time I did, I did, I did just stay six months. The first time I, I, so I did the least. So I did. We formed the band when we went back. Then Tom Donny, who was our manager, and he Tom Donny, was the FM the guy that started the FM radio, yeah, uh, rock radio hugely influential um, yeah, guy yeah yeah and he he a big giant guy he was he was our manager he became my manager it was originally another guy charlie osborne but we anyway so so actually so six months later you know going back to england we got a record deal i had five bucks when i came over and i went back with five grand and i thought i'd never have to work again for the rest of my times life. times are you know? different because <laughs> if you had that five grand
2: now it'd be more like 500 because uh, yeah, all the taxes yeah.
3: Yeah, well, I, this is it. You know, I, I just, uh, to me, it just seemed like so much money. I just, I thought, God,
1: but it gets know. a little confusing chronologically. Yeah, because at some point you meet Chipolino and you get tied in with the San Francisco scene. That's yet coming this, up. Yeah, at yeah. the same time, mm-hmm. Rod Stewart's flying you to England to work yeah, on three of up. his. That's most... coming right up. Okay, <laughs> okay take too, us there. So Easy now. Still
3: in, No, no, it's, it's, it's. Uh, I can't believe I'm even re- remembering this stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we. Uh, so sixty nine. And then we so the Silver Meter the band I performed first time I came to the states with Lee Stevens, we flew back to England to record to Trident Studios to record our our, our album, and then and then we uh, and then while I was there, Mickey introduced me to Rod and we did Gasoline Alley, which was the first first one I did with him. And I played bass on Cut Across Shorty and piano on Country Comforts, so, and then then uh, then I then we flew back. Flew back to the States and did a tour, played the Fillmore, o- opening for Quicksilver and Mott the Hoople. i uh, on the same bed as those guys. Nice. And that was at um, Fillmore. And there's a re- live recording of that knocking around, which is a lot of fun to hear. But rough around the edges, but a lot of really good jams in it and stuff. And, but um, Mickey was a great drummer, and Lee's a good, great guitar player. Anyway, we, we, uh, so we, and then, and then I, and then that band was supposed to do another album but there's this very gray area thing what happened to the money for the next album the record company gave money to to, uh, to our manager but somehow it never made it to uh, Anyways, I can't Was that the same going. manager of Jefferson Airplane? For, 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 sake, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of, <laughs> of, I don't want to upset anybody, so I'm not going to okay. go into what. I, well, actually, if I you don't mind something.
2: upsetting people, because then we'll get more listeners. Yeah, yeah no, it, I understand. It's that, just yeah. a podcast, man. Oh, you can okay. say whatever you want. Nobody's but, uh, listening.
3: There are rumors going around. You are uh, uh, on a couch. Uh, uh, if you wanted to uh, just sit back and relax. Know, or, uh, <laughs> no, but Lee Stevens, the
2: guitar player, was
3: told something by the record company when Lee said, "What happened to what happened to the second album?" He said, "Well, we gave you guys the money. What you did." <laughs> you know we didn't know the band we're just a band you know so um anyway uh i won't go into that but anyway so so then i so we got back to england the band kind of fizzled out and uh, and i was i was in england and then tom donahue came over with a medicine ball caravan uh and stone ground band called Stoneground. And, and that was a hippie band they picked up along the way it was a, like a circus going across the states and buses and hippie buses the whole thing and they got to England and then and they uh, bass, they needed a bass player so he called me up so I joined those guys up and you know I joined up with the hog farm and wavy and and uh, the whole scene all through we, we played Paris we played all over, you know stayed in giant mansions in, in uh, England and uh, even though we were, you know, anyway. Uh, so, and then after that, <laughs> Stone Ground, what did I do then? Well, uh, oh, yeah, we came back to the States. And I met John Cipollina. I was living in Mill Valley. We rented a house, met John Cipollina, who was it was just coming off Quicksilver. And, and then we said, let's get a band together someday. And so I went back to Eng- England to play. To do the second album, every picture with Rod Stewart, every picture tells a story. So I played, I recorded that, and came back to the States with the Long John Baldry Blues Band, with Mickey. Waller, it was a great. They're all dead now, but Mickey Waller and just just a fantastic blues band. And we did. I did his first two U.S. tours, and then I left that band and came up to San Francisco to join up with John Cipollina
1: to, to form Copperhead. Is Copperhead the one where you recorded the album, but then by the time it was released, you, were, you weren't in the band That's anymore.
3: right. I, I, right before we did the, got the record contract, uh, Nicky Hopkins asked me to play bass and, and some B3 in a band he was getting together. and um, So he rented me a house in Mill Valley while he was on tour with Rolling Stones. And so it was the first time in my career I had, a, I had a house paid for, and you know some money and nothing to do, right? Uh, but before that, but before I could take possession of the house, I had so I left the left. Got ahead. I didn't like the record con- con- contract anyway. It wasn't wasn't a good one. I love the guys. They we're all we, we we're all good friends. You know, was was, was left of them. But um, but I went back to and Hutch, Hutch Hutchinson became the bass player after me, and he's a really close friend of mine and one of the best bass players on the planet plays yeah. at Bonnie Raitt and everything and yeah and plays jazz yeah, too yeah, right yeah he was on he, he joined and played their first album but but all the live shows there's some bootlegs out there that has his name on that actually
2: <laughs> really you know,
3: yeah but that happens you know <laughs> they, I mean the bootleg guys go to the album to see who played right, right. In the, who was in the band you know so anyway but I, we did quite a few shows but I, I went um, so I went back to to England to record with Rod Stewart's never a dull moment but i couldn't i could only only record for two weeks and i couldn't wait around for the for the cover the photograph in the inside cover and i so i i came back to i had to take possession of the house and so i stayed there for a while learned to fly airplanes while i was so i took that time to do i I'd always wanted to learn to fly so i, so I learned, got my pilot's
2: license was the first uh airplane you flew a jefferson airplane
3: Right, right. Well, that's, that, that, those guys, uh, no, I, I I wasn't in Airplane really, you know, although I was on Jefferson Airplane Flight Log. That, uh, uh, I was on that album, but that wasn't really. Well, no, I, Airplane broke up in 72. Right, right. And, you met David Freiberg. That walked you into that see, scene. David, he, what, yeah, so I knew David. Uh, he knew me with the Cophead because he was old friends of John from Quicksilver, you know. And so I'd i been, uh, so I'd, I just got through playing with Neil Sean and Gregor from Journey and... Santana. Uh, Journey wasn't around yet, but...
2: He was Santana, yeah, then, right? Yeah,
3: Santana. Neil Sean and Gregorico from Sly Stone. We had a band called Sears Rico. We played the Diamond Head Crater Festival and, and did a bunch of stuff there. And, and um, then... Uh, uh, that We, we, we did... A, we did, And that's on... You can see that little snippets of that on, on YouTube, you know, you can look it up. But, um, it's kind of a power trio, no vocalist. Except for one tune, Greg Rowley came up and sang Black Magic Woman. Wow. Um, but, uh, but Journey wasn't, there was no Journey yet, no talk of anything like that. So I, so I went, I, uh, that band kind of dissolved, and I went to, uh, uh, and I did uh, produce, co produced, and arranged the music for Kathy McDonald. Insane Asylum album. We had Sly Stone on there, Neil Sean, Ainsley Dunbar. From Zappa uh, and uh, Point Sisters, For Backup Singers uh, And um, Tower Power Horn Section Nils Lofgren Met all these people On this album Man uh, It was a lot of fun John Cipollino Was on there And uh, Kathy was Used to sing With the I-Cats You know She She passed away Recently She was a really Good singer And then So But while I was Doing that album um, Paul Cantner and Grace Slick were upstairs in an upstairs room at Hawaii Hiders recording some solo albums. The airplane had broken up because Jack and Yorma went off to do Hot Tuna. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you first worked on Grace? Yeah, but the first, my, yeah so my, my first, um, the very first thing I did for Grant Records was Papa John Creech's solo album. Uh, Joey Cummington, an old airplane drummer, took me down to do we did the janitor drives a cadillac it's it's a track on papa john creature album but that was that was earlier and then i but then i didn't see the grunt Records people people again but when i was doing kathy's album in 1970 late 1970 early 1973 and uh did kathy's album and then um came back and then I met these guys and then Grace was doing Manhole so her solo album and Paul was doing a, a solo album forgot which one it was and I, and I played some piano up there and played some blues piano and she wrote the words and, but
1: wait a minute Manhole yeah, is yeah, significant yeah. personally to you yeah. huh? is that not where you met Jeanette? Uh,
3: your future no, I wife? Met, I met Jeanette and, um, no I met Jeanette at John Cipollinas uh, I was with my English girlfriend Lucy wow. since like 19... 19- when I was still with Stoneground. in 1970. I was with Lucy and, and um, uh, she's now a big she's like an author and BBC writer and everything. She's a really cool person. And, um, and we're all still good friends and, and she knew and Jeanette, Jeanette was with uh, Jim Murray, uh, lived with Jim Murray from Quicksilver at the time. But that was 1970, that's how I was still with Stoneground then. And <clears throat> that was the first time we actually met. But it wasn't until years later, when we both broke up with our respective partners, that um, uh, we got together. But that was so. so I right, I was finishing. It's about the time I, around that time I was doing Manhole, yeah, Manhole, and and uh, I was doing the Kathy McDonald album I was doing, and it, towards that project had just finished, and and I done I had recorded with Manhole with and Grace and Pauls asked asked me to. Uh, said so we're getting a band together called Jefferson Starship to promote Paul's album and their solo albums and because and, uh, they were trying uh, to make a uh, record they were they, yeah, that yeah they wanted me to to, uh, to uh, play bass and keyboards with and switch back and forth with David Fryberg right and he was a really good great friend of mine and so and I wasn't sure I had to go back to England and I went back and did Smiler the last Rod Stewart album I did and I brought Jeanette over um, brought her over and we've had a little cottage in the country and, and there was a uh, but it took a whole year to make that album because of record company problems because he had the Faces you see as well the Faces had their own record con- contract and Rod had his solo albums and his solo albums did better than the Faces albums did and although he had some of this, word played on Rod's solo albums and Ian McLagan played the B3 on his solo albums um, and, he, and he'd have them, the band's faces come in and do one track per album. But m- all of those albums with Maggie May, Rod Stewart's solo albums, they had Mickey Waller on drums, um, Martin Quittington was this brilliant acoustic guitar player, uh, and sometimes acoustic electric, but it was a classically trained jazz guy. <clears throat> um, deep depressions he'd go into, you know, and he and I were pretty close friends. But he, he wrote all that music, did all those beautiful guitar interludes. And uh, it was a lot for the. Uh, and Ron Wood would play the electric
1: guitar. Got to ask you about it, yeah. though, because you're at a decision point. It was yeah. well documented at the time. Well, first of all, Paul Kantner and Grace Slick are two hugely influential and important yeah. musicians, of course. Yeah. But it was also well known that they had a volatile relationship. I mean, yes. did you have reservations about joining, uh, walking into that fire?
3: Well, I worked, when I walked in the studio to do Manhole, you know, Grace is like... Her eyes are like stiff, She must, She'd had a few to drink, you know. She was like, she she had a, she was one of those people that had a sort of an allergic reaction to alcohol. Just and and just uh, just became instantly, once instantly a different person. Whoa, yeah. uh, but uh, and she was <clears throat> pretty intense. But 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 it was all very positive in in a weird intense kind of way. When she At the post- first meeting, and you know, I liked Paul and Dave Freiberg, who were good friends. So so I, I, I but I, I hadn't I didn't say yes yet you know I, not because I was playing, trying to play hard to get or anything I just didn't know you know I, just, I was going back to England to do Rod's album and I didn't know what the future held you know I, I had some projects over there that were possibly happening and um, talked to Stevie Winwood about playing bass with another, another he was getting traffic back together to do a tour of the states and I didn't not didn't meet him in person then but I just talked on the phone from my that Ron Wood put us in touch with each other but I uh, ended up and also Martin Quittington the, the guy I was telling you about it, we had a band playing uh, sort of jazzed up uh, classical music we, 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 with Max Middleton on piano and I was playing bass and Manfred Mann's drummer John Lingwood but we never got out of the uh, rehearsal stage and we had record while and records we wanted to do something and so there was, I had these things going but but we, we needed to come over for Jeanette's sister's wedding to the States. And so I, and, the, and Paul and Grace had been calling me to join Starship, and, and I, I, you know, I hadn't committed to anything, and they wanted to buy me a ticket, so I said, but I bought my own ticket to go over, you know, I got an advance from a song, a tune, an interlude I wrote on Rod's album, and uh, publishing advance and paid for our tickets over so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do but then I landed at San Francisco with Jeanette and there was a guy a limousine driver standing holding with this sign <laughs> with my name on it you know and I thought okay went, yeah that's us okay well, all right and then then he took us to the Seal Rock Inn overlooking the Walk cliffs there in San Francisco and uh then I went gave me a, a game manager came down and gave me a big wad of cash you know and I went out to meet Paul and Grace and to talk to them in, the, in their house and we looking this beautiful over the bay on the ocean side of the San, San Francisco Bay you know.
1: this is when they were trying to be domestic right Yeah, that period well, yeah.
3: uh, <laughs> right and it was pretty and uh, so we beautiful we view re, we read
2: really hit it off and we, I wrote, we wrote hyperdrive beautiful view except watch for it. the uh, you have yeah. to watch out for the flying plates
3: yeah well, that <laughs> right I did that right later <laughs> But when I learned to fly I did some aerobatics right, right off the bridge there uh, on the ocean side, did a, I did a, a, a roll in, they were doing vocal rehearsals, so I, I you know, I, so I flew over there, I thought I'd surprise them, you know, sitting on the balcony or something, and they, they didn't see me, you know, but I went down to a thousand feet and did a, did a uh, dove down, did a, poured up into a loop, <laughs> did a loop, then did went into a slow roll, and I'd, and, I'd, and I'd been drinking the night before. <laughs> oh, man. So I started to feel this sort of buzzing sensation in my head. And that really, I thought, oh, no, I'm the only person in this plane. You know? <laughs> oh, God. And um, it was a Satabria aerobatic plane. And uh, and I thought, God, this is bad. So I me just just pushed the nose straight towards the headlands, marine headlands, thinking I might, might be a road I can get down on or something, because I was over the water, you know. And um, anyway, by the time I reached there, I, I was feeling much better, you know. And and I just went back. But I, I, even though even though the rule is eight hours from bottle to throttle,
2: bottle to in throttle the, in
3: the student books manuals. I guess they didn't fly the flight. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. It's best not to drink. Are
2: you before. still flying?
3: Before, uh, no. I, I sold my old biplane, uh, my stamp S, stamp SV4C biplane, about thirty years ago. So yeah, no, I haven't flown since. Although I sometimes go up with Bob Minkin, the photographer, and uh-huh. the rock and roll scene. And he's got some books out on the dead and stuff. Great, great. He's, he has a pilot. He has a pilot's license and he has a little Cherokee. And so I go up with him. And he's a, it's, that's a lot of fun. got to got to
1: get in more to the Grace Slick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. How was it composing with her?
3: Well, it was, it was great. I mean, I say <clears throat> the first time I met them in, 90, not met them, the first time I, I, I went over to their house when I came over in 74, um, we really hit it off. I just started playing this, this, this instrumental uh, I, I was working on, and, and she just ran upstairs, grabs some lyrics, came down, and just started scribbling away and writing. And she wrote we wrote it right there in one day you
1: know. was she in the wide-eyed state or was she no uh, more? she
3: was she was really she was she, she wasn't really out of it at that point at all she was totally cool and um china you know their daughters a three-year-old running around and um but uh but they were still fully rock and roll i mean this is you know you, you can't combine the two you know you can be domestic and you can be rock, a rock and roll
1: were they battling constantly would they battle on stage uh you mean paul and grace yeah uh
3: not really no i i mean uh, during rehearsals they didn't you know we we'd, we'd, when i joined the band we would just rehearse over there that was our rehearsal room so i didn't really see a lot of that at all and um uh they uh, uh but alive you know grace was intense i mean she 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 would drink quite a bit but she had this intensity about it she was one of those performers that could just walk to the front of the stage and the crowd would go nuts mm-hmm. and uh we did we did white rabbit and somebody to love and volunteers and all that all that stuff but but really it wasn't a band that was ever meant to Try to be carry on as a Jefferson Airplane. You're saying that's, that's that a misconception. You're you saying that
2: they were really to their the band was created to promote.
3: That. Yeah, they were, well, Paul had an album, mm-hmm. solo album. In, in say Airplane broke up, broke up in '72, then Starship, the first album was in '74, right? You know, and um, Dragonfly, and I and I joined right before that.
2: But, so it was a but, gig but, but, for you. But, but,
3: but it wasn't ever meant to be. Uh, Paul had during that period. Of, done an album called jeff called jefferson starship and then i i wasn't available to they asked me to play in it and you know, then i went back to england but they did one tour with peter Calkin and yorma's brother on bass uh but they didn't record as as a band so when i came over it became we signed a contract became jefferson starship as a band as an entity really and then we did dragonfly and, and and um then Red Octopus, which went to number one, you know, in the Billboard charts, with Miracles, that song, Miracles. And I think, you know, some of the airplane fans felt like uh, the band was getting to, with songs like Miracles, uh, you know, not hard enough, and it's uh, like, uh, not, maybe selling out or whatever. Although I never really saw that in the fans, so it just thought, you're still out. audience audiences getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And our live shows were like three hours of anything goes. I'd do, I mean, I'd do a 10-minute bass solo. The whole band would leave the stage, and I'd do a 10-minute, for better or worse, I'd yeah. do a 10-minute well, bass solo. Yeah, and who, 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 who lets anybody do that? Uh, you, let, know? you let your jock not much, right? Yeah, so Yeah, we, that too. So yeah. we, still the, um, we still had the anything-goes feel to the band. and it was a, Our producer was fantastic. Larry Cox was Buddy Holly's old drummer and it and, uh, so everybody wrote There was a, a lot of writers in the band, but it didn't seem to be hurting you know yeah uh,
2: well, we, well different time too imagine if it was now with the message boards and the yeah. internet uh, you know, yeah it's true <laughs> well we could write I mean we could write any lyrics we wanted
3: about anything any you know political anything just, just let's uh, go uh, to
1: Germany the 1980s it
3: it all changed in the eighties you know? just before we go to the 80s Germany
1: yeah. 1978 yeah.
3: Was it the Lorelei Festival? <laughs> yeah, Lorelei. and it's a, it was a, an ancient amphitheater out in the open, overlooking the Rhine River. And that sounds great. Yeah, we, was, <laughs> and we, we were and we we it was our first European tour, and we had all these tours booked in in uh, the US after to do it. was, bam it was we had a hundred thousand people in Central Park show up to see us right before that. I mean, it, things were doing we were doing really well, you know, and things were really looking good but there were problems between Paul and Grace developing at that point um but uh so we so we went to Europe and we did Amsterdam then we got then we, then we then we went down to
1: uh well Grace play at v spot huh? Grace was throwing down in Amsterdam a bit correct
3: yeah she all yeah she uh, all the tours up to that point things were getting a little it's a pity you know we were really beginning to implode I guess It's it's a pity because uh the band was really doing well, you know, and uh, but uh, it's the nature of drink. I, I, I don't, I mean, she, she'd be the first to admit that she's totally, she's been, you know, she's sober for many years now. She she does her artwork now, um, but you know, but but it's still it was it was what it was. It was a rock and roll band, you know. It's a crazy rock and roll band and things. You can't look back and say we should have done this differently, this and that. Obviously, we should, there were things we should have done differently, but but it was just part of life. It was yeah. what it was. It was a rock and roll band doing its thing, and and you know maybe record companies should have hired psychologists to come in. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. although that wouldn't wish that on anybody. But i was surprised nobody ever thought thought to do that, but but <clears throat> because you know because all the egos and it start it happens to every band every Eagles you name it it happens to every band you know everybody starts to get I want, they want their song on the album and, the,
1: right. and the, you know and there was, but this festival tell us what you remember of it because while the opening bands were playing yeah, the bands okay. before it, you were playing
3: yeah so, so it, was a, it was an all afternoon festival and the Atlanta Rhythm section were, were booked I mean were advertised but they, it turns out we found out later they hadn't been booked <laughs> okay Atlanta Rhythm section we were the headliners uh, Leo Kotke was playing wow. uh, a bunch of different bands and half the band went over in the uh, early afternoon uh, car to the site which, uh, we, were actually, uh, we were staying in Wiesbaden and it's an old SS hotel you know, <laughs> and it was, you know so they were winding up this little road to get to this amphitheater up there, ancient old amphitheater and they were watching and then they started to get the vibe that things weren't right because the the people would sitting it was a light drizzle and people were sitting through this thing and this drizzle and then and and, and, and the audience was kind of uptight you know and apparently and an drunk and uptight and stoned and and leo Kotke was feeling. he was playing right before we were supposed to go on and he was feeling nervous, apparently. Uh, he heard, was solo, huh? Heard, yeah, I heard, late, heard later. And, but I was at the hotel. I, I had my, my, Jeanette and my uh, one-year-old son with me. And so I decided to go over the, with a later car with Grace and Paul and Marty and the manager. So I come bounding down the stairs at 6, 6 p.m., all happy, ready to go over to the show. And I see all these long faces sitting outside Grace's room. And she's inside and she won't come out you know she will not come out and and the, the, the promoter's assistant was there and she was in tears and she's she has a a, a landline that was to the site you know and the, and and the minutes is ticking by and our amplifiers at the at the site was set up lights on guitars in the stands you know <laughs> and, the, and, 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 and things were just uh, um i think leo cocky was playing at that point that people were getting restless and, and but our amps and everything was set up and um and then it got so bad that the band decided to the rest the guys that were there decided to split they and they left you know the site to come back to the hotel and uh grace uh wouldn't come out and paul wouldn't go on and and uh, Marty Bannon said he'd go on without Grace, but not without Paul and Grace. He didn't want to be the only singer. With, didn't know, Paul have to get to, physical to with the tour out. manager? Huh?
1: Wasn't there something with Paul and the tour manager? Yeah,
3: man- yeah. Well, no, the lighting director. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who Grace characters.
3: ended up marrying? <laughs> mm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and That's not uh, a light story.
3: <laughs> yeah. So there was some little altercation, but well, I didn't witness it. But I heard that it had been some or something. Something went down. And, and also Grace was apparently, you know, drunk and not... not and, also she, and she said she had the stomach flu. Yeah, food
1: poisoning or but something. But
3: whatever the reason, uh, Paul was saying, tell, you know, tell the audience, told the, our road manager and David Freiburg were the only ones left there, told them to t- go out with the German promoter and tell the audience they could have their money back. We'd come back and we'd play, we'd, we'd, it's, you know, we would do the right thing and we, we we can't go on without grace and um, you know we're very sorry and all that sort of thing and and um so the problem was that the, the, they went out with the promoter and he according to a german friend of mine who was in the audience they left out the bit about giving the money back
2: oh
1: key wow. <laughs> <laughs> T- detail yeah and, and that's uh, when it got and ugly some,
3: and rocks and, Somebody started throwing cans, of course. Right. And then somebody started throwing bottles, and then rocks, and um, uh, anything they could lay their hands on. Was raining down on the stage. But uh, one of them hit, something hit, a bottle hit. One of our rotors, he had to have his stitches, you know, he was taken away and came limping back to the hotel. It was like, like a war zone. And they, then they, they rushed the stage. And the, the people that stole the guitars... Later in, the, in these Facebook things, uh, I, I was interacting with, and they were saying, "Well, you know, we we wanted to save the guitars yeah. from them. Yeah, but why don't you save the guitar and <laughs> give, the right? give, give them to, to, <laughs> to us? Give you know. them to us, you know. They saved, saved them. them. Fact, they Right. Thank they you, you get for saving the guitars.
1: <laughs> you did get your bass back a short thirty-three well, well, or so yeah, years later, it, right? Thirty-three.
2: It, wow.
3: Yeah, I did. I did. And but but then somebody set fire to the stage. Yeah. Wait. What? Yeah. First somebody got up, got an axe and started chopping up the drum kit, and then people were people were like uh, taking amplifiers and throwing them over the cliffs. And oh some God. people were walking away with them. The, the British fire, uh, the English uh, uh, lighting, I mean, sound company was fist fighting, was trying to keep their Jeez. keep their um, uh, gear from being stolen because they wasn't insured
2: there's some energy left uh, in that uh, place from uh, 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 the uh, uh the old days uh, there yeah
3: there. <laughs> no and, and then and then bill lauder and david Freiberg had locked themselves in an old wartime bunker under the <laughs> under the stage uh, and, and and bill was standing there with a mic stand you know, in case somebody's <laughs> discovered them but people were just running around at that point and our oh, sound man sound Salma, Har- 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 danchak who works with steve kimmock and great guy uh, he was with don pearson you know, used to do the Dead and everything, Grateful Dead sound. Uh, he was our sound man, and uh, and he was walking around buying his own equipment back from people, <laughs> oh my God. And, and acting <laughs> like he was stealing stuff himself. Very cool. <coughs> Howard was very cool under fire, you know. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: so, yeah, but then somebody got some gasoline, as I say, and set fire. It was a blazing oh, wow. inferno. The fire department showed up and left.
1: But by the way, the police wow. never showed up, yeah, the right? The police
3: showed up way later. Yeah, after it all died down. Oh, okay. That's right? it. Yeah. Courageous. Not till then, and and our and our our um, uh, guitar tech had hidden the stuff in the bu- hidden the guitars in the bushes, right? Some and uh, and then he saw the police finally show up, and he, he figured that okay, it was okay. He can go, he can go to the, the bathroom now. You know, when he went to take take a leak or something. He Came back, it was all gone. Oh man. They were gone, and and so some some somehow somebody had stolen everything, and and um, and some people had stolen some stuff before it got to that point too. He just he, but he had my guitars and some of Paul's stuff and, and Craig's 59 Les Paul, I think. Mm. Anyway, the bass I actually played on stage right. was my 63 jazz bass, and uh, that's the one I'd had forever, you know, and I'd love. It was all worn and. It was you know it was a beautiful old thing I've I ne- never played the Doug Irwin custard bass the one one I got back which has some wood in but, common with yeah the... it was the same piece of wood as Tiger not same type of wood same Gar- piece of wood Garcia same, guitar same tree t- as Tiger oh, Jerry's really? Tiger same, com- same Doug Irwin company with Tom Lieber the luthier that worked with Doug Irwin uh, he those, just those two guys there was a Doug Irwin company and and um, Doug and the so Tom built my base and and that was this before right before Tiger and 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 uh, Tom actually came up with that you know classic uh, the horns you know the, uh, the Jerry's Tiger that and then and then um, but after he finished my base he, he left the company and he works with Stanley Clark a lot now building bases for him and and a an great guy Tom <laughs> and and uh, so he left the company after he gave me my bass in 77 and then and that's but then Doug Irwin finished up you know finished off Tiger for, for Jerry but but the um, uh, but 1978 is when I lost it in Jim this happened. but, but i would just taken it with me I, I don't know what, I just took it because I I just wanted to have it with me right you know
1: and and you lost and, it, and then it was all, yeah, but stupid. I want to know because the next day you guys honored an, a commitment to do Hamburg TV. Yeah, now, that's how right. awkward was that? And did you talk about the incident on that? And what kind uh, of appearance was that?
3: Yeah, that was intense. Uh, we had we had a, we did this long bus ride the next day up to Hamburg, and then the without went, equipment. <laughs> yeah, no equipment, and all shell shocked. You know, I bet. And the and the bus driver hated us. You know, just a bunch of you know, guys from the US is, a hippie band from the U.S. He just hated us. Best, although the right?
1: Germans hadn't exactly represented themselves that well either. Well, so.
3: that's true. Although, although there were a lot of GIs in the audience too, American oh, U.S. GIs. This right. is interesting. Uh, I don't, but, but I don't, I don't know if they, what they had to do with it. But uh, they didn't. You know, it was just general mayhem. You know, we, they, they didn't think we were there. They were, they were, well, they knew they must have known as we were there because the amps were set up and our guitars were were there, but uh, but they were just it we just got out of control and they started throwing stuff. And, um, they were really uh, writing against the promoter. I think it was you know pretty weird, and uh, he was he was blaming us for everything, of course. But we went on this long bus ride, and the guy was those those fr- uh, those those roads go really fast on, and the, but the bus driver wouldn't go above you know 30 miles an hour or something. So the autobahn, and he's yeah, just doing oh, oh slow yeah.
2: Since. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's honking,
3: <holiday>. and uh, <laughs> then then halfway through the journey, and you know he go he goes in. It was pouring with rain. You know halfway through the journey, he goes into a. a it's like a service station, and disappears. did not say anything to us. We're all starving. After about fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, we decided to just go in, and then he, and then uh, and he's in there just finishing up his some food, and he said we go now. He said we go. And we said no, forget it. but We'd had it by then we just forced him to stay and we ate what we ate you know And uh, uh, anyway we made it to to Hamburg got, rented some equipment did the TV show and then I I knew we were in trouble when I saw right before we went on stage with uh, rented equipment I saw uh, Grace come down the, the the elevator doors open she'd come down from the dressing room with the publicist and the uh, publicist was like kind of had some bruises on her leg and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> sorry Grace I'm telling all this okay but then um, uh, and uh, which we went on stage and it was pretty bad it was, it was pretty bad we went on it was being recorded for the TV show to, to play at a later later date There was a live audience but the vibes were really bad and Grace was just out of it completely and a, a bit stone drunk and kind of a yelling at the audience and there was a fight broke out in the audience and you know we're all like playing our hearts out right trying to just play as best we can and and um, yeah and uh, somebody uh, remember she she grabbed she started pulling Craig's hair and then she she went over to screw around with to mess around with Marty and Marty grabbed her in the back of the head and just held her like this wouldn't let her wouldn't let her go just held her head oh. away from his but held held her and, and sang miracles to her you know and she was like trying to get away and <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty weird stuff you know and, but we got through it and, and the, but we told them they can't, we can't release it but and, but, they, but we wanted to copy it they wouldn't give us a copy unless we let them release it air it you know so and then we, we got out of there we just left Germany we were supposed to go to Berlin The promoter was trying to get a lawsuit, trying to stop us, trying to get, you know, trying to stop us from leaving the country because he blamed us, you know, and... uh, So it was just a big, colossal misunderstanding and very, we went to Nebworth to open for Genesis and and, uh, Devo started out, Bad Devo, and... um, Gabriel
1: was still with Genesis then?
3: uh, Yeah, 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 it was was a full band Genesis at that point. And uh, Devo, Devo came on first, and then they, they had—I remember—they had, uh, I remember they had uh, eggs and fruit and stuff being thrown at them uh, by the Genesis fans. <laughs> and, and, and then, then, uh, and then, uh, then we went on and with our stuff and without Grace and Marty was the main, and Paul did it. Sound? It, it, it didn't sound as good as it. it, it we got through it, you know. You guys, on, still on stage giving... with the
2: umbrellas <laughs> and uh, and. Um, <clears throat> You know garbage bags and stuff in front
3: of you yeah yeah right well it, it tennis didn't, rackets uh, it, it wasn't that bad they, they they actually they actually seemed to like the band okay but we just weren't showing our best uh uh-huh. you know we just we went, we just got through it you know and i still did my bass solo though. <laughs> <laughs> Ten and, minutes. Uh, yeah and um yeah and uh was it and then uh and then, we, then after that, that, that particular band, that was the end of that version of the band and Grace went to, flew back to go into rehab. She, well, she'd already gone back after Hamburg. She, flew through, she didn't come to England to do the Nedworth Festival, which and Genesis played great that day. Um, so um, are you still in touch with Grace? Yeah, we talk every now and again. Yeah, and you say she's doing her artwork. Is, is she yeah, is she well or? Yeah, she's she was having some physical problems, you know, but she's she's um, um, she does her artwork. She's a good artist. She's she very connected. Did the cover for Manhole when I the first thing I ever did with her.
1: She's tight with her daughter, right? She does art too. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Uh, she's she's great. China
1: does Grace know that her influence still. Like there are young female singers in indie rock that are hugely influenced by her. Does she have any idea, or is she just checked out from music?
3: Yeah, she, she uh, she's aware of it, I think. You know, and uh, like Jerry Garcia, you know that she's probably surprised and perplexed by by the uh, effect they had on people. Right. Jerry used to tell me he he, he was amazed that people felt that way about him. You know. <laughs> Since you
1: brought up Jerry, talk about um, after yeah. Brent Midland died. Um, you know, getting yeah, a well, shot. I've known
3: Jerry, he played in my solo album and we did a, uh, we did a live broadcast from KSAM back in 1971, you know, and uh, so I knew him pretty well, but yeah, he, he was, he was a really good, good.
1: And uh, how, how did that, how did that go? Did it, did you sit down with a full band and play with them?
3: No, it was just a Richard Gossett show, on the KSAM, when? Richard Gossett show.
1: No, I mean in um, 90 Richard. when, after Brent had passed. Oh
3: yeah, that, yeah. Um, well, I was, I was off on, uh, I'd already left Starship at that point I was sick of it you know so I left left, that, left the band and um, so I was I was on a camping trip you know with my, my brother who was come over from England with his family and then I heard so I was I was down south somewhere when I heard about Brett dying and and uh, so I, I didn't call right away because it I thought it be distasteful to you know call him up and say you know hey what about you know about, I heard there's a gig yeah, opening yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> I just, just didn't didn't couldn't do it you know just couldn't do it and uh, but other people did apparently um, uh, so when I got back you know I, I kind of um, uh, I I uh, just decided to uh, give him a call you know and he and he said uh, so, he said well you're not you don't really sing right and I said well kind of I mean I, I've had a little bit of kind of you know and he said so it so he said well I'll give it you, to you what I do I'll give you a, um, uh, a box full of tapes we give, uh, and we gave uh, and so he got Jerry told the people at the office to get this box together It was a big box and it had all these uh, tapes of live shows and, and everything you could imagine in there you know and and, um, and he gave it to me and said well you know and then he and Bobby came over to my house and we played some piano I played some piano upstairs in Mill Valley and, the, and then we went downstairs and, you, know, you know we tried tried some vocals and stuff and, and um, uh, but I just didn't get a good I didn't I got I was okay till we started singing singing a bit you know and because uh, I I couldn't I'd, I'd never I'd never really sung in bands and and, um, and then uh, as I say I took singing lessons after, after that but um, so but I just didn't get a, you know, I wasn't sure about it because I had I had everybody in the office, I had the the sound company, you know, ultrasound. Everybody's telling me, man, you've got the gig, man. I, I definitely got the gig, you know. And um, uh, and even though I, you know, I, I hadn't I didn't hadn't studied their music, you know, I was playing with a band, right? And and th- th- they had their own thing going on. And although I knew every one of the band, and had played with them independently. Uh, uh, it was it was like um, I you know so so I still I they were telling me I've got I had the gig but I said I just have a bad feeling about it you know and I went to I went to Front Street you know and and
1: um, club around the Grateful Dead's rehearsal studio yeah, yeah, and, and
3: and and I was uh, and so I played with them there but but somebody had told me that they they, they wanted to synthesize it. Player, which is what I was rebelling against, yeah, yeah. Right. you know. I just wanted to go back to playing the blues and and root stuff, you know. Because uh, Gar- Gar- Garcia, I was rebelling against Starship, what well, the '80s stuff, you right. know. And, and I really, had to look, so I, I really wanted to do this, you know. I think it's great, but but, it's, but I actually heard that somebody had told me that they're not looking to replace Brent on keyboards and B3. They want to, so I had this crappy synthesizer, and you know, so I I went ahead and they had something set up in the front street and, 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 um, you know, and, and, and so I, I had them t- tear it down and put, I, I came in with my stupid synthesizer. <laughs> it was I a, p- that a was big, big mistake. <laughs> I should have just pl- got in there and played off the cuff, you know, just played and, and, uh, but we did playing in the band, I think, was one of the ones and I, and I couldn't get that high. I didn't, I could do it, probably get by and do it in hour, you know, but I, Back then, I, I I didn't really know it well enough, and I and I just couldn't really handle it. and I've, I just didn't feel it really went well, you know. And, and then um, uh, and then I was walking out, so I was walking down Front Street, and there's Vince sitting there, you know. All right. And it was a friend, you know. I knew Vince, and and um, and, and and then so I went and sat, sat leaned against the wall on the outside with uh, Robert Hunter, you know, just sat there. I said, I mean, I just don't think it went well. I, I don't know about this, you know. It's just, it's, nah, I, 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 don't, I don't. think
1: so. And um, and Vince is in there and, and, nailing and, the three part uh, harmony on the plan. Ah! And, and, uh, and Vince uh, went in and nailed the three part well, harmony. yeah, probably
3: yeah. I mean, he's, good, he's He was a great singer, and I, I, and, and um, uh, a lot of you know. He he he, he went into. It, I think he was the right guy for the for the gig, you know. And he had that high voice, and he, had the, he was a great, really good piano player, and he was saying with the tubes and. Uh, but but he was walking into a very difficult situation mm-hmm. because Bruce Hornsby, you know, was a really great keyboard player, uh, was was playing the key piano at the time, or most of the piano, and and, um, and so Vince was kind of pushed off to the side a little bit, you know. And, uh, but was that
1: also to kind of help him get the ethos yeah, of well, the I jamming? Yeah, I guess it
3: was. It probably was, but I don't know. It had an effect because I went, I went on stage to you know, Jerry's little enclosure on stage. I was visiting there, he and Steve Parrish, visiting them on stage and, and they were, the was playing, and, and Bruce. And I don't know, I just, I just got the feeling, uh, he was felt like he was being compared, you know. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing.
1: So there you have it, Pete Sears. Love hearing about the auditions for The Grateful Dead in particular. That's interesting stuff. That must have been pretty tense. And it's funny how he walked out and he saw Vince, you know. It's like, ah, I think that guy's going to get the job. Anyways, I promised you a couple quick things, and I've been told to be quick, so I will. First of all, the Holiday Hootenanny T-Dog is a promoter who's very entrenched in the bluegrass circles. He does this annual event, and we always get unusual collaborations. This year we had Kevin Kinney, Jim Lauderdale, Papa Molly, and our local legend, the guy who taught fish how to play bluegrass, Reverend Jeff Mosier. Some fantastic collaborations. Kevin Kinney doing a good country miles. Just hushed. It was kind of a chatty room at points. When Kevin played that, it was haunting. He hushed the room. Um, Another funny moment was Papa Molly introduced Colonel Bruce, mentioned that he was about to come out but prematurely so bruce starts to amble out and papa has to stop him and then papa drops off just ferocious version of i'm a ram and then the colonel has to kind of amble out and <laughs> follow that which which was tough but he did uh, love light in his own inim- inimitable way uh it was also quote, cool. jim lauderdale just sat in with everyone. It's just such a wonderful player. It was great to see Mosier play with all these guys. Jeff Mosier playing his banjo and interacting and all these great musicians like Kevin Scott, who will be a, he's a great bassist. He will be a future guest on this show. Uh, he is a future guest on this show. And uh, it was a great night. Holiday Nanny at Terminal West. Thank you to all those involved. And then Humphreys McGee. Big thanks to Jefferson Waffle and the Humphreys McGee Band for their continuing generosity toward me. Jefferson uh, was important for him to uh have me come out to chicago and he's he's a good good dude for that and dave and lee soslovsky put me up at at their house we had great times a lot of radiohead a lot of wilco a lot of spiritualized and a lot of good times wonderful times but here's the thing i was given the opportunity to make a request and this is the trick if you're not freeze mcgee fan you should request sandwiches because that way you get a jam in of another song and a jam out of another song and you leave it up to them whatever that other song is going to be. So once I requested a whoppy Sandwich, got a whoppy Ringo whoppy," was 30 minutes something in St. Augustine. This time I requested Wife Soup Sandwich and Wife Soup is a wonderful song and they rarely split it. And they did. They did a Wife Soup Sandwich for me. The problem was Brendan introduced it. Brendan Bayless, the lead guy of Humphrey's, introduced it a song too early. He introduced it before a song called Puppet String which is a great song. is a wonderful bass line. Very seductive. But the thing is, it's kind of like requesting Chalk Dust Torture at Fish or Moth at Mo or I don't know. Uh, what would be the dead one? Playing in the band? All great songs, but songs the band generally... All songs that lead to great jams, but songs the band generally is going to get around to and they don't really need to be requested. So first of all, I look to other Humphreys fans like a schmuck, inter- you know, requesting truckin. Uh, but then, secondly, the band already knew that the Wife Soup Sandwich thing was planned for me. So Brennan does the intro early. So then when they go to start Puppet String, half the band plays Wife Soup and half the band plays Puppet String. And it kind of train wrecks. A band that rarely train wrecks train because of my requests. Or as I put it, and that's what I'm being told. I'm, on, I'm told no more requests. I've, I've been put on probation. Essentially, because people can't read set lists. Anyways... It was cool. We got Dump City in the Middle Wife Soup. is wonderful. Uh, the run was fantastic. Uh, they had horns on the New Year's Eve. They did a Sturgill Simpson Call the Arms cover that was just unreal, just superb. Uh, Jake Sinager really pouring his passion out and his love for Sturgill. Uh, it was really one of Jake's finest vocal performances ever. But um, listen, that is it for this episode. Um, our next episode may be on a different platform. You need to stay tuned. Things are about to change. We've got good news. And uh, we've got some really good interviews coming up. Um, I do not have Seth's authority for permission to announce him yet. And he calls the shots on these things. So I'm going to respect that. But we're going to end our episode here with uh, two songs from Hi-Fi by Moon Alice. Unsung Heroes and Paradise. These are both compositions by Pete Sears. Pete. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and I would like to interview you again. And also, we got to get to the other uh, guys in the band. Barry Slash, John Molo, Dan Lebowitz. We did a little mini thing with him that we'll use but I want, I'd i like to talk with him some more. So hopefully uh, we can work that out in the coming months because Moon Alice isn't coming to Georgia as we learned in the Roger McNamee interview which if you like Moon Alice or Doobie Decibel System check out our Roger McNamee and Jason Crosby episode but we learned that Roger... Alice, Doobie, none of these bands play any states where marijuana is not legal so I don't think they'll be playing Georgia anytime soon Here you go, we'll see you next episode
0: Load out in the cold and rain Thousand miles of sweat and pain Backs are breaking, hands on fire Sleepless nights and blown out tires, And another show and we're all in debt. To the unsung heroes all blood and sweat Sunrise, flood an endless sky Montana blues and the great divine Desert winds, coyotes crying Rip with God, the second coming And another show ever all in debt To the young song heroes all blood and sweat blood and sweat There are only four more towns to go Of lonesome highways, sleet and snow The end is near but the closer you get The longer it seems with no regrets And another show The show and we're all in debt to the unsung heroes of blood and sweat.